Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 120, 120. That's the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. And let me just say that up front, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, uh, rest assured that there is a fully fledged, coolly colored version, video version over on YouTube. So if you're that way inclined, you know, hop over there. Um, that would be interesting. Now, today we have a guest on the show, but let me just tell you, I am so happy that uh, we managed to connect again because it's been a while. Uh, he's been on the show again pretty much exactly a year ago, I think. It's pretty much exactly wow. a year ago. Um, now, it is none other than the Photoshop and InDesign guru, educator, podcast host, author, and the man who used to live literally two streets down from me. Get up for Mr. Dave Clayton. Dave, hello, man. All right, mate. It's nice to be back on. Wow, is it really a gear? Yeah, it's been exactly a year. It was actually the week before the photography show. Last of course week. it was, yeah, because we, yeah. uh, we met properly at the photography show and hugged it out and got a beer oh, mat. We got a free beer mat. What? <laughs> Worth it just for that. <laughs> More beer mats coming this, this year for sure. Good. <laughs> awesome. Man, it's been, I, I tell you what, I literally drove past your old house the other day. Really? On my little Vespa. Oh, that seems oh, yeah. a lifetime ago. That was I worked out actually um, for anybody who cares because this is a boring bit. That my it would have been my thirtieth wedding. That from that relationship, that house, it would have been my thirtieth wedding anniversary uh, last week. Wow! Had had all of that worked out fine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy to think that was thirty years ago, and yet, like my memories of Rickmansworth and Mill End and. Uh, Proxy Green is just still so doesn't feel like that long ago. Like, where's where's the time going? How long ago did you move away from here? Uh, I moved from Rickmansworth. Uh, I moved back to Croxley Green, and then I think um, I moved up to Leicestershire. I think it was around 1994. I bought a house up there, um, right. and that's uh, that was like the second. Like the the job that I had while I was in Rickmansworth was like the first time I got to use a color computer, a color photocopier, and the first time I'd seen a Mac and Cork Express. Then when I moved up to Colville, uh, the job I had there, we shared the office with a Swedish company, and uh, this guy had a color computer in his office, and he had a copy of PaintShop Pro, and he used to let me stay behind after work and learn to use PaintShop Pro. Um, and, and the first picture I ever did, I've, I've said this story before on another podcast, but the first that he said, okay, you can stay in my office for an hour every night and you can use my computer until I leave. But in return, you have to do a job for me. And he gave me a photograph and his son was in the Swedish army. And it was a picture of a red sports car in the, fo in the foreground. His son was then standing uh like the you got the car in the foreground then he was standing probably about six feet away from the car and behind him was the helicopter that he flew but on the bonnet of the car just sat back on the bonnet of the car with arms folded was his girlfriend and it's a really cool photo i wish i just wish i'd kept a copy of that and uh but they'd split up and the dad who, whose name was Bo, um said I want you to take her out of the photograph for me. I just want a picture of a sports car, my son, and the helicopter. And it, this was like pre-select subject. And, uh, you know, it, it was literally, 
copy paste dodge blur cut and paste cut paste cut paste cut paste cut paste just little little pieces and and i had no other source in that image other than what was there mm. and i'd love to see it today because when i showed it to him like the night i finished it and i finessed it and i was trying to get some like hard edges on the bonnet and you know like flipping the like the head by headlight from one side to the other get the proportion right and i remember leaving it on the screen and he walked in and was like you know getting towards the end of my time to go and the whole time i had the picture on the screen without her in it and he was chatting to me and chatting to me and um i won't swear but he went he just suddenly looked down at the screen and the penny dropped and he went oh f in hell this is magic <laughs> and and that was my first proper retouching job on paint shop pro and after that i was like hooked i was like wow i can do this so i always re remember that time there because that was that was my first opportunity to do graphical kind of retouching as it were i tell you my first time that i've retouched anything or that i've kind of composited something into another image i remember actually i remember it well too it was on a very early version of Photoshop. This must must have been 1998, 99. That sounds about right. Yeah, so very early, whatever. It, I don't know whether it was Photoshop 3 or whatever it was. It was before the CS yeah, you know, yeah. versions. Um, and so what I did was I went to London and I took a, a picture of the IMAX theater. And then I had I had a Dalmatian at the time, you know, a dog. And um, I had a picture of the dog and I shot both images on like a super early um, digital camera, which is probably like <laughs> one megapixel or something. Like that. Yeah. And um, and so I placed the dog in the scene, like on the street in front of the IMAX theater. Yeah. And I tried to make it look like it was really there. Of course, you look at that image now. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It looked like it was floating far too big in proportion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All the shadows were the wrong side. Yeah. yeah, terrible. Like big fringing. <laughs> but, you know, at the time it was like, whoa, wow, that's awesome. Like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. The f do you know, every job after I did that, particular one it's funny like when you when you speak to these great designers and they go back and they're like oh yeah i remember my first job was working for pentagram in their post office and i got to work with paula Scher. and they tell these amazing stories of like life was so wonderful like oh my first job as a musician yeah i was um brody for Jimi hendrix you know they've always got these yeah. great stories it's like no, mine started off taking taking a girl out of a photograph and then spending probably the next three years basically replacing famous people's faces with my friends, family, and work colleagues' faces yeah. for every event possible. Oh, can you make my dad Bobby Moore from the nineteen sixty six World Cup? Can you make my my daughter the princess from so and so? And literally, that was my work for three years, just replacing faces. Um, yeah. But I still learned techniques, but it was just funny back then, like how you you've kind of take it for granted now how good the software is that you forget, unless you're of a certain age and was using older version, that how laborious it was Yeah, to, to make something look good. And I tell you what, actually, I mean, there's, you know, it's it seems like things are really speeding up at the moment as well, you know, with Photoshop's neural filters, for example, stuff like yeah. that. There's some incredible stuff. Like the other day, actually only last, was it a week, last week or the week before, I did a job in London uh, where as part of the job, um, I shot 
but six, 18, 18 headshots, yeah. basically. Um, and the, the, you know, typically I would go in and I would retouch each individual headshot, obviously, you know, and uh, okay, I mean, I could outsource it, whatever, but typically in the past, that's, that's what I've done, you know. And of course, with, with these kind of team headshots, it's very different, uh, well, a different level of retouching from like, yeah. let's say, like a corporate headshot or, you know, a CEO or something like that, obviously. But, you know, you'd still do the full works. I mean, you still clean up the skin, you do a little <clears> bit <throat> of, you know, like skin smoothing and, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. But with the neural filters, um, that turned into a matter of seconds. Yeah. And I, I just can't believe how quickly I managed to get through 16 headshots, you know, just to sort out the skin, the face and everything else. It was, you know, it was just, it was mind blowing. I mean, it really took a whole massive step out of my retouching process. Yeah. It automated. And the best thing about it really is, is that you can still, especially if you layer it, you can still um, sort of decide the level of intensity yeah. that you want that effect. Is, you know, so you basically retouch the skin, it smooths it, cool. You bring it back and then you kind of go, mm, maybe that's gone a little too far. I'm just going to dial that back. And it's literally, you just move one fader. Yeah. And that's it. I think as well, Beautiful. to give you credit there, um, it's like we were talking about audio off air, which may, maybe we'll discuss, but um, that retouching process where you've saved time, that's because your image is good to start with. You know, if you'd shot that in a dark room, poor lighting, you know, it yeah. would it would it'd still be faster, but you probably wouldn't get as good. Whereas you've done most of the work already, you're kind of fine tuning yeah. it. The thing that when I teach now, um, whether it's Photoshop or plugins or anything, the one thing I stress to anybody that's watching is like because of the job we do, we're very very lucky. That you know, we're not in the middle of the motorway digging ditches. We're we 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 get to just use our hands, our mouse, and we're in a nice location. Um, you know, and it's hard to be taken seriously as a creative because you're kind of not manual labour. So, our time, we kind of have to prove our time all the, all the time. It's like, do we charge an hourly rate? Do we charge a job rate? You know, are you paying for the output, um, or are you paying for the input? But when you find a tool that takes you time, so say you're working with a customer, you do a bunch of headshot, 10 headshots, and you know that each headshot is at least an hour, you know that aside from taking the photographs, you've got 10 hours of retouching, which is billable time. So sure. when you get a plugin or a tool that brings that time down to one hour instead of 10 hours, Never let the customer know that you can do it in an hour, right? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. because the reason being is because the customer knows what the output is. They don't need to know what the input is. And if they're happy with the cost you've agreed, having being able to do that 10-hour job in one hour has freed you. I'm doing the quick, the easy maths, but you you can now do it now. You've got nine hours you've been you, you're billing for, which isn't dishonest because you shouldn't be charging by the hour. You should be charging by the job. That nine hours, you can now kind of mentally park to one side because there's going to be a job that's going to be the opposite, a job that you thought would take an hour and it's taken three. And that's where law of averages comes in and you just need that little bit of extra freedom. Whereas if you yeah. kind of tie, tighten it down to the hour, to the minute, 
when something goes wrong, you haven't got the flexibility. So I say to everyone, as soon as you get a plug in at all, whatever, don't let the customer know. Exactly. But the other thing is, of course, you can, you know, you, you can also, uh, you know, produce extra value. And this is yeah. it's often, it's often a thing, um, you know, that goes a long way. You give a little bit, um, but, you know, you, you get the proceeds in, in return. Yeah. And a good example would be, for example, you know, I had a, um, a shoot um, that I did this earlier this week. And um, the one of the issues was that um, so it's a basically a work portrait session, yeah. you know, promotional shoots for for a website. And um, the the talent that I shot in full work uniform were basically placed in front of a wall with documents um, in the background. That's how, that's what the client wanted. They wanted mm-hmm. this office environment, and I wanted this particular thing. It was blueprints or whatever it was, stuff in the background. Um, that's what they wanted. <clears throat> then when they got the shots back, and they were really happy with the shots, but they say, you know, um, in the high-res versions, you can you can see a little too much information of the stuff that's in the background. Mm. You know, you know, and then they basically asked to, you know, for that to be slightly blurred. And that's, I mean, that's all fine. Typically, that would be outside of the brief. Yeah. Typically, for extra retouching work, I would have to charge extra. But in this particular case, I literally had so much time in the can that I managed. Yeah, I could just say, "Yeah, absolutely no problem. Tell yeah. me exactly which shots you want, and I'll do that for you. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah. you got it." And you know, of course, what that means is like from a customer experience point of view, it's like, "Ooh, okay, awesome. You know, that's that's great. You know, um, added value, added value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I already know that I'll be working with that particular client, you know, in the future because yeah. you know, they're already like super happy and. They're already like thinking about the next, you know, future projects coming up. So, you know, sometimes you can, you can do this balancing act where you can basically say like, okay, you know, I saved some time here, but therefore I can give some extra. Exactly. Yeah. You it's, it's your time to play with. And that's, yeah. that's why it's that thing, you know, don't, don't tell them all the things. Don't, don't be super, super open and honest because yeah. it's just, you know, that I like, if like I've had a job and I've, I've had a situation where I did something extra for a client. And I just thought, actually, yeah, it's a it's a nice to, to nice thing to do. Hey, look, I thought this might be useful, so I just did this for you, and then it gives you extra work. But it's yeah. just that feeling of um, you know you feel great about the job because you've saved some time. And but you know some the other thing as well is what a lot of people don't realise is you know as creatives we spend money on subscriptions and plugins and you know we yeah. these things cost money. And we want to factor that back into our business to kind of to build back. So, you know, I say to people, if you're going to buy a plugin um, or a tool, uh, like say you're going to buy Topaz or you're going to buy On One or something uh, Luminar, one of those is going to give you a photographic extra. Then look at the customers you've got and the pricing that you've got for your jobs and just see if like, you can get the cost of what you've paid for into your next job. So whether it's a subscription or whether it's a one-off payment, I would factor the cost of something into a job. So kind of that that one job's paid for it. I've not got the stress of, you know, and, and I'm talking about if you earn money from what you do. If, if, you, sure. if you're a hobbyist, it's harder to justify. Um, but even, you know, hobbyist photographers still go and buy every lens and every light. and Oh, 
seven cameras and you know so when it comes to software it's funny how you know they'll drop a thousand pound on the lens but then cough it i've got to give adobe 10 pounds for photoshop yeah. and lightroom every month yeah no no d5 I've, yeah i've got to give 120 pound a year for the best software to get yeah. make my pictures look great oh but, no yeah no no i'd rather spend 1500 pounds buying it outright or 2000 pounds like really you would yeah I, okay right <laughs> <laughs> i remember those days Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's the same. I mean, it's the same with like Windows Office. Not that I use it at all, but, you know, I actually, I just recently bought, I had to buy a Windows, I don't even know what it's called now, like Microsoft Office 365 or something. Yeah, yeah. You, know, went, you just started a secondary school and she needs it. So I, I said, I don't want to pay for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of these, you know, the thing is, I had an interesting discussion actually um, only the other day. Um, with a friend of mine who's a really talented photographer, um, but he's a hobbyist. That's what he does. His real job is in IT, and you know he enjoys going out, you know, shooting and um, I don't know, shooting. What does he do? Like birds and landscape, yeah, sort of thing. You know, um, he's also he's a fellow Nikon shooter. And I was talking to him um, just before I pulled the trigger on the Z6 II that I just recently bought because you know I know he's had the cameras. He's got every freaking Nikon body under the sun right including the z9 so you know and the same with lenses and the thing is you know you know he said to me like, oh yeah you really want to get you know that glass and that lens and whatever and you know it's kind of like look i mean if i was doing this for as a hobby you know then okay but the reality is every piece of equipment i buy every time i replace a camera body every time i buy a new lens you know i have to see a way to for that thing to make the money back yeah. Somehow, you know, so I won't buy anything that won't make me any money. Yeah. You know, so for example, you know, a good example is when we talk about lenses, you know, 24 to 70 for all you photographers out there, it's like the, you know, the central workhorse of everything that I do. I don't use it exclusively, you know, mm -hmm. but I use it for virtually 85% of what I do excluding headshots, although I do use it for some portrait stuff. But, yeah. But, you know, it's a great lens when you're doing, um, you know, uh, I don't know, what are you doing on location stuff? You know, it actually works really well for video. In fact, I'm filming myself with it right now. Um, you know, it's a great lens for just general all-round stuff, you know, interiors, blah, 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 this and any other. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a super useful lens and that's the lens, that's my money maker. That makes me money, you know, every time. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like an 85 prime lens you know for headshots i love the lens i've shot um more headshots i've sold more headshots that were shot with that lens than anything else i think mm. so also you know that lens is like a 350 well, uh, maybe 500 pound lens or something like that that's made me the money back times and times and times over yeah you know like i don't need to buy i don't know a 105 if i did product shoots mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i don't do product shoots you know, if there was a job coming in or a string of jobs coming in that required me to do projects, I would think about it. You know, maybe I would hire one actually for this particular job just to keep the cost. Yeah. You know, because people tend to forget that. And I think hobbies never consider hiring. No. You know, as a professional, it's you have a job coming in, you need some extra gear. Yeah, you hire stuff in, you know. And of course, you pass the cost, the higher cost onto the client. It's like, it's part of the job. Yeah, exactly. You know. But, but And you'd get to learn as well. You get to learn your capability with that because, you know, I, I, I could easily buy... I mean, I was 
I was even looking at a keyboard this week. Someone, uh, a friend of mine, a really good designer, if you're on Instagram, follow him. He's called um, Barnard Co. And uh, James had this keyboard from Logitech. Now, I've got a Logitech keyboard um, because I can run three computers off it. So I just hit one, one, two, three, and I and I got my work one and, and my two main computers here. But it was this kind of mechanical, old school, clunky key one, and the keys had specific icons on them for graphic designers, so you could hit, set up short keys, uh, shortcut keys on it. And I just loved the sound of it. It was all clunky, clunky, and I went on amazon and it was i think it's like 65 pounds and then he showed off the logitech ms mx3 i think it is uh mouse because i've got a black apple mouse um and he was going oh you know it's so ergonomic it's really easy to use when you charge it the cable goes in the front not underneath like the dead mouse that apple does and uh, i looked at that it was 95 pounds so i thought well actually that'd be quite cool that keyboard 65 pound put it in my basket oh that'd be quite a good mouse that put it in my basket and i tend i never buy things straight away i leave them in my basket for a couple of days and then go back and then it and then it was i don't need this keyboard i don't need to spend six i can afford 65 pounds spending the keyboard but i don't need it because i've already got a keyboard where's it going to go my office space is at a premium already and then the mouse it was like well i'm moving away from a mouse and, and using my sense labs tablet more because previously when when i had um a, a, another tablet i found i wasn't using it that often and and because the amount of work i'm doing is uh tablet usage now i have my sense labs out and it's just like using that all the time so i didn't need a 95 pound mouse that I wasn't going to use I was just going to buy it because I wanted to own it because I wanted to have the option but it was like no this is silly because whilst I've done a job that I could take that 95 pound out of that 95 pound isn't gonna I'm not going to earn back from that at all so I'm I'm a little bit more little less carefree and a little bit more business head now when I when I look at gear because I think over the time that I'll own it because that's the other thing with with gear and uh, less so with software because you can do it but i always think with gear uh like i i bought a mac mini my my imac was old seven six seven years old and i thought i'm gonna get this new m1 mac mini so went on amazon i had um some offer for it and i could i could pay for it like over four four or five months interest free so it kind of broke it down to, I think, something like £140 a month. And at the end of five months, I'd have paid for the Mac Mini. And I just looked at it as, not that I'm spending this amount of money on a Mac Mini, like, oh, I've just dropped this on a Mac Mini, or I've just dropped this on a Mac Studio. I always think, okay, my iMac costs me 1200 quid. So in dollars, twelve hundred dollars, because the exchange rate is so poor at the moment. But that iMac lasted me six years, so I divide that six years by the twelve hundred, and then look at what my iMac cost me per year, rather yeah. than what the outlay is. So I try and break all my equipment down into twelve, twenty-four, thirty-six, like this tablet should last me three years without having to change it this mac studio should last me a good five years if it if it behaves and and the software doesn't get too heavy so i divide the cost 
now my Mac Studio is no longer a £2,000 computer. It's divided by 24. Yeah. I'm rubbish at maths. I'm not going to do it. But it's so it becomes a what's that costing me per month? Yeah. How much do I earn a month on the jobs that I do? It's paid for. And yeah, and the thing is, like, if you think of that, if you break it down like that, and you think of that as a subscription payment, for example, like let's say for instance, <laughs> you're taking iMac as an example, you break that down, you know, into 36 months, maybe 64 months, if you think yeah. it lasts you six years or whatever. And then you think like, you know, would I be prepared to, you know, pay that amount of money in a subscription on this piece of equipment? And would that be worth it? And usually you come up with so minuscule, you know, such minuscule amounts that you go like, yeah, of course it would be. Yeah. So, well, you know. That's the thing. But, you know, my old MacBook Pro, this is like a running joke on this podcast. My old MacBook Pro is a 2011. Mine is. That's... Yeah, MacBook Pro. You know, I've beefed it up. I've got an SSD thingy in it. Yeah. You know, um, and, like, uh, I've changed this and that, more RAM and whatever else, you know. Um, I've maxed it out. Okay, fair enough. So I spent, maybe I spent another, I don't know, 400 quid on it over, mm. over the 10 years that I've had it. Yeah. You know, but I, you know, I've used that until about maybe... Two years ago or something, I used that for all of my editing work, you know, both photo editing and video editing, you know. Um, yeah, and it just like, took forever to render and everything else. But, you know, you get around that. It's not the end of the world, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was really, i tell you what made me buy an iMac in the end was actually that I found um, I, I had neck pain, like in the, in the back of my neck. Yeah. And uh, and so I was told it had to do with posture, so I had to work on my posture, and so basically I had to I had to change the way that I was sitting. Yeah, and not like because, you know, down, when, but yeah. up. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you're editing on on a laptop, you know, you, I mean, okay, you could lift the laptop up and your desk and all the kind of that's work. Right? Really, yeah, in reality, what you actually do is you sit on the couch, you know, <laughs> in front of the telly, and you do editing, you know, whatever it is, you know. Um, and even if when it's just on the desk, you're always hunched over it and you're always looking down, you know. And that's really, you know, that's really what, what uh, dip my sort of neck muscles in my shoulders. And when I decided that it was time to replace that MacBook and to, you know, buy him, um, an iMac with a beautiful big 5K screen, you know, and, you know, I set up my, my editing, you know, space behind me. So it was, it, it was like a comfortable space that I like to sit in. Because that was the thing. I was the difference. I think the difference for the main difference for me was that I thought like, oh shit! Now, if I don't edit on a laptop anymore, then I'm stuck in one location. You know, I can't move around easily anymore. And um, and so I thought like, oh, I have to create a space that I'm that I, I like being in. You know. Mm. Um. So, you know, and I was actually at the beginning of the pandemic. I remember I had time. <laughs> I had time <laughs> to do all that stuff. You know, and um. And really, it's done wonders. I mean, not only is it much better for my eyes, you know, to edit on this thing, but like all of my neck pain, everything else gone. Yeah. Posture is much better. I actually enjoy it more. You know, I'm not as stressed out and, you know, tired after like a long editing session, for example. Yeah. Then, you know, that in itself, to me, was more valuable than the fact that this thing is faster and it can do X, Y, and Z and all yeah. the crazy stuff that it can do, you know. I mean, to me, really, had it actually had an impact on my health, ultimately. And so, yeah, because of that's yeah, I sure, I I don't, I don't even remember how expensive it was, but I you know spent several thousand pounds on this thing. Yeah, and uh, I think it was that was a piece of equipment that was totally worth it. Yeah, you know, and uh, the other thing as well, which which people like in fact one year the company I worked for I complained about this so much that at the end of the year they had an awards ceremony, and uh, 
they bought me a gift and they got me up to give me the gift and it was an inflatable beach ball because <laughs> I because I kept complaining that the Mac at work was so underpowered that all the work, all the stuff I had to create they just get beach ball in because it couldn't cope. <laughs> nice. So I was like, bloody beach ball, bloody beach ball. And it's all people could hear me say. Um, yeah. And this that's the reason why I upgrade my hardware. Now, obviously, you know, I'm saying Apple because I've been in the Apple ecosystem since I found a receipt the other day. I think it was 1990. It's early 90s. Sure, it's right. When I bought a G4, a Mac G4 from a place, I remember Wickham, great big beast. Um, but yeah, would have been, would have been early nineties, and it's again like with cameras, you get to a point where like the the iMac, the hard drive went. So I then um, my friend Chris Fields, brilliant Mac guy, just go to him and say, what you know, what's C H N O. Look him up, people, because he's 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 surely wood. He's near you. Oh, yeah. Um, and Chris put an SSD in for me, but it's an external one. So we we've we've mounted it on the outside because he said taking the front of the iMac off was was not going to be good. Um, and to be fair, since I'd then bought my Mac Mini because I thought, oh, my main computer's died. I want to go for the M1 because I want it to be able to cope with the amount of work I do with, you know, Prem Pro, Photoshop, Illustrator and Design. I'm one of those people that has everything open all the time. And uh, it actually, the iMac actually sped up. Um, but I made my Mac Mini my kind of main day-to-day and I made the iMac uh, my recording machine. But as soon as I start to find more time lost waiting for the beach ball, so when people say, oh, you know, so we spend seven years yawning and we spend so many years scratching our bum and we spend eight years of our life farting. Yeah, they do. I think how much time, <laughs> how much time did designers lose waiting for the the rotating um, hourglass or the beach ball? And that's when I think mentally it's driving me mad. I'm like, I want to put my fist through the screen. It's not the screen's fault. I want to throw the computer out the window because it's like beach ball, beach ball. But why can't you cope? So mentally, it's not good for me to have that stress while I'm working because I'm trying up, you know, maybe up against the clock or you've got a deadline or something. I don't need this and then I don't need it crashing. So I'll upgrade my gear to cope with the amount and quality of work that I'm doing. And then where possible, I'll sell the old gear. So like I'm... My Mac Mini is relatively only just over a year, so I'm selling my Mac Mini. I've kept my iMac; it's under my desk because my daughters are going to need a computer before too long. I've already given my 13-year-old my old MacBook Pro, which is 2011, um, and she's still using it. She uses Illustrator and Photoshop on it. Admittedly, they get the the thing is with with gear nowadays is. Because the software is so powerful, there comes a point where the software outlives the hardware and the hardware outlives the software. So, you know, I can't, I can't run Creative Cloud 2022 on my old MacBook Pro 2011. It's just not made to run on a machine that old. Equally, when your computer kind of runs out and dies and you go to the shop and you buy the brand new mac studio it's not going to run creative suite 2 because the creative suite 2 was you know so you have that weird thing of sometimes you're forced to upgrade your hardware because of the software 
or sometimes you're forced to upgrade the software because of the hardware because you have to get that happy medium so the thing why i love you know what the one of the things why i do like using the apple gears is a i've not touched a windows machine in so long i couldn't tell you the last time i i, I used the windows machine um like six or seven jobs ago and i've got nothing against windows it's just using the mac i find my mac gear lasts a long time and it rides along nicely with the operating system and the software so i try not to upgrade unless i have to and like uh, i always know glenn glenn tells a story about zacharias and he said he only buys a new camera when he's outlived his current camera when his current camera can't do the things he needs to be able to do that's yeah. the time to put it down and buy the new one not just buy it for the sake of buying it and that's exactly what i've done with the z6 too it's um i've you know i shot as many listeners of this podcast will know you know i've shot my beloved nikon d750 i don't know i mean ever since it came out I'm like yeah. what is it like eight years or something like that and also saying Exactly. And I'm still using it as a backup. You know, it's still in my bag. I use it as a backup. It's perfectly fine. It works. I mean, it's, you know, in terms of shutter count, it's come to the limit. It's dangerous now, I think, you know, when you take it out on a job because, you know, it's a DSLR. They're moving parts. You never know. But, you know, it's, uh, I you know, I got to the to the point where I needed it to do more, especially on the video side. Mm. And so that's really what tipped, what tipped my thinking you know yeah to like especially out but i tell you what i just had a great idea for a drinking game go on seeing that seeing that i'm no doubt we'll see each other uh in a few days time at the photography yeah. show <laughs> we should like we should we should take like a super old like the 2011 macbook pro yeah you know and like uh, do something like super taxing like run something super taxing on it. every time we see a beach ball it's a shot <laughs> yeah, my, my MacBook 2011 would absolutely win. I feel sometimes that it's got so many beach, beach ball running so many times, I have to take an air pump and pump in the side to keep <laughs> Yeah, I think we'd be pissed in no time. Oh, I know. Speaking of, speaking of a photography show, that's, um, that's one of the interesting things for me. And it's always kind of an education for me every year, is because, you know, all my all my best friends are photographers. I, I've got I've got friends who are designers, but what I mean is, all my best friends, all like really good friends of mine who are photographers, I learn so much about photography from them, and yet I've never like had this urge to be a photographer as like you know like you guys are, where it would be something that would make me money. I've got a D300X I bought in two thousand and eleven. Mm-hmm. purely because it did bracketing so i could do hdr <laughs> um oh what a fad uh, that was yeah and uh <laughs> and i bought that over the i think it was a d something like a d7 700 750 or so there was another camera that came out and it didn't do bracketing so i bought the d300s and i i struggle with the logist the, the logic of photography i composition you know i can take a great photograph on my phone but I find the camera becomes an obstacle for me because it's a barrier between my brain getting the thing in front of me. So when I go to the photography show and I speak to photographers and I watch them, and obviously I'm managing the live stage, so I'm watching every single session, and I see the gear and the lighting and, and everything you need, I do get a little bit envious. And then it's always at the photography show where I'm kind of 
maybe this is the year I get the camera. Maybe this is the year I go, if I did add photography to what I do, man alive, what a difference it would make to the kind of things I teach. Because at the moment I'm restricted that I could probably teach Lightroom, but I don't because I don't take photographs. I could probably teach uh, like retouching and more photography based Photoshop work. But the thing is, is there's already a thousand people teaching both of those for photography. There's less people teaching design. Makes it harder for me to get work. But I do think every year, I, I have this thing every year and I've had it for 10 years now. Maybe this is the year I actually bother yeah. to learn photography, to learn the basics, to be comfortable with the camera. And my problem is learning to work the camera. Not, I, I kind of know that the what ISO does and aperture and all that. My my barrier is always operating the camera. So when I get to a photography show, it's like, I don't know, I, I can afford it. I could probably spend around, you know, this much money on a, on a camera. Um, I could do with it for this kind of thing, because I'm currently using a Logitech webcam of, that Glyn gave me that's probably five years old. So could I have better quality, in which case... Do I go for like a vlogger camera that suits of less so for kind of the photography, but more for the video? Because the, the new cameras now do great video. I'm more interested in video than I am in photography. And, and I still don't know. Maybe this year at a photography show, if there was a good deal, I might be tempted. I've got budget. It's can I, like we said earlier, can I justify spending that much on a camera? Yeah. If all I'm going to do is use it for video, if I'm not going to bother with photography, but if whatever camera I buy, I'll own it for the next five years at least. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, it, that was actually exactly the reason uh, why I eventually decided to, you know, to, to buy a new camera was because of the video functionality. Video is becoming more and more important than what I do. Yeah. And so, you know, I needed a tool that actually allows me to do both. Know, make, do both. Yeah. And so I'm I'm literally a hybrid shooter, you know. Mm. Um, I do a lot of photography work. I do a little bit of video, and it seems like that bit of it, you know, is is becoming more and more important. And you know, but these are not necessarily big jobs because really, for for bigger jobs, you need, you know, you need to work with a team anyway. You need to have a you know dedicated cinematographer or you know videographer or whatever. But there are lots of like little things where where all of a sudden there's a requirement for just a little bit of video or something yeah. like that, you know. Where previously this would have been like complete like still shoots, you know, and yeah. so it just gives you that flexibility. So I needed a tool that allowed me to do both, you know, to a degree. Yeah, and and so that's really what swung my you know my sort of decision making process. And behind the scenes as well, because you've you you guys do behind the scenes, which is great. I love all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's another thing, you know, to have a to have a camera that allows you to do both, you know, um, you know, to well to a reasonable degree, basically you know, is is really invaluable because you don't have to carry around three different bodies and six different lenses and all the rest of it. You know, it just really just all fits into one bag. In fact, you know, the photography, you'll see, I'll just carry around one bag and it'll allow me to do everything I mm. need to do, you know, there in order to create all the stuff I want to create. And that's, you know, that's the thing. I need to fit everything into one bag. I sling it over my shoulder, you know, I'm off and I can do all the things that I need to do at, you know, it, with, you know within, within that little package. Yeah. And that's, so it's like, you know, it's getting to the point where, yeah, you can have tons and tons of gear, but now 
the issue is that I need to minimize all that gear and actually bring it down so I can really just have potentially just one lens and mm-hmm. one body and I will do most of it, you know. But the thing about photography, it's an interesting thing, you know. Um, it's, I've just experienced exactly what you described with uh, just very recently because I learned how to ride a motorbike. Okay. Actually, no, I haven't learned. Well, I sort of, I've, learned, I've, I've done what's called a CBT, the CBT, the yeah. compulsory basic training, because I recently got myself a Vespa. Um, like a scooter, mm. which is a 125cc scooter. And so you need the CBT thing, you know, course that you have to do. And so it's the first time really I've learned how to, how to ride a bike. And, you know, I've been, I've been out practicing over the last few weeks and everything else. And I'm starting to feel more confident on it. Yeah. But it's a million miles from driving a car. Like, you know, I've been driving a car since I was 18. Yeah. You know, it's I get in the car, don't even think about it. You know where everything is. You're like, start driving. how did I get here? I don't remember this yeah. journey. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you know how to use the tool because you're so used to it. You know, I've done mm-hmm. it for so many, time, so many years. You know, it's just, it's totally second nature. Riding the Vespa is not second nature for me mm-hmm. at all. It's a completely new experience. It's in a sense, it's like me against the machine. Yeah. And, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, at first, you know, when I first when we passed the CBT, and then I, I meant, you know, I was allowed to take the thing out on the on, on the public road. Whoa! <laughs> People watch out if you live in the area. You know, you see a mint a mint green bed <laughs> zooming past. So it might be me. You know, get, get out of the way. But you know, so you know, you go around like the local streets at first, and then once you get confident with that, you then go onto like the main road, and then you know, you deal with all the traffic and everything else and all the obstructions and. And then you get comfortable with that. Then you go onto the road where you can do 50. Because this thing does like 60 miles an hour. Yeah. And, uh, and it feels like, you feel like you're doing 600 miles an hour. Yeah. And you know, and so, so you get more and more confident, of course, the more you ride it and the more you practice with it. But I, I mean, I've only had it for a few months, for maybe two months or something. But I still feel there is this, this machine between me and the driving experience. Yeah. And I, I'm still kind of grappling with and, and fighting this machine, you know, trying to control this machine. And that's exactly the same thing when you first get into photography. It's the camera at first. And of course, most people learn to shoot with natural light, you know, so they learn how to use the camera, you know, just using natural light. And once once they've done that, they then they might then move into like using speed lights. Yeah. And then eventually they might u- they might move into using you know, studio strobes. And of course, the minute you use studio strobes, it's all about like, not only the light itself, but it's about modifiers and, you know, lighting ratios and it gets a lot more complicated very quickly. Um, and that's often, that's the obstacle. You know, that's where people think like, oh my God, that's like so much to learn and I have to control all these different things. And it's like, it's like I have to split my brain into many pieces because one part is to think about the lighting, the other thing is to think about the camera. Then you have to pose the subject. You got to give instructions. You got to think about, you know, quick uh, spin more plates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, you've got to do the creative as well. You know, you got to say, think of the shoot. You know, that you got to come up with stuff. You know, on the hoof because, you know, depending on the shoot that you're doing. So, so there's you really have to like balance a lot of plates. You know, all at the same time, and that's really overwhelming. You know, in the beginning. The more you get used to it, the more the the, the technical part of it becomes yeah. secondary. You know, like when I do headshots now or when I do a location shoot or something, I really don't think... No, I mean, I consider the lighting at the beginning. I think, well, how am I going to light this? You know, la, la. But once that is done, 
I'm so familiar with my gear. Yeah. The camera. Although, the, the new camera, you know. Yeah. I'm but, you know, with the DCM50, you know, I've done it for so many years. It's like, it's like driving a car blind. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you just, you just, it gives you then the freedom to really focus on what it is that you're shooting. Yeah. You know, the subject that you're shooting, the posing, you know, all of that, the creative part in it. And that's the, that's the kind of, that's the point where you want to get to. But of course, just like anything, just like riding a bike, just like learning how to ride a Vespa, you know, this takes time. It's not something that happens. Absolutely. Next week, you know, this, and this is why, of course, it takes, you know, it takes years and years and years and years of practice for, for a lot of professionals. When you see somebody like Scott Kelby, for example, or you see, you know, you see professionals do what they do best. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, that there are years and years of, of, of work that's gone into it. Like Glenn is a really, Glenn is a really good example. You look at his videos, you know, I mean, how great, how good do they look now compared to, you know, exactly. Easily. We're going to have Glenn on his shoot seat so don't nick my guest. Um, <laughs> right. But we're having Glenn on the show to talk about yeah, his evolution of uh, of how the video has become an important part of his business now. Possibly more so than the photography because whilst he's, he's making content about photography, but and it's the same with um, a guy that we had on a couple of episodes ago on his shoesy jaws that I mentioned earlier, James Barnard. The reason I knew James was because he was on TikTok and he came up oh. on my For You page because I followed designers. James came up. He's English. He lives in Australia. His content was good. His delivery was good. And I started to follow him and I realized, wow, this guy's a graphic designer, but I can tell he's having to invest in a lot of time in video to, to get this content out to bring in work for graphic design. So I had him on and we talked about it and he subsequently released uh, a, a video course. Now it's only like $20, um, but it's brilliant. Um, and it breaks down how to plan for video. It doesn't have to be for TikTok. He just did it for TikTok because that's where he's had the most success, but it works for Reels and YouTube. Um, and he breaks it down, like how much time he has to take out of his day as a designer to film like to plan scripts, film, edit, upload, go through the you know process of, of what TikTok wants or what Instagram needs to put all the captions and everything. And he said like he has to take, if he does five days of work now, he has to not only take two days out to create video content, but he also has to outsource his admin work because he can't also do his invoicing and his, his admin stuff. Because he said, I, can't, I now can't afford to not do video. Okay. Um, but he only uses his iPhone and Premiere Pro. Uh, he can use a bit of After Effects. But he says, you know, I've, I've my iPhone up here. I plan my content, record it. And that's and I you know, work out how much content I get out. But if it's an experiment I posted the other day on Instagram. And anyone who's watching or listening, try this out for me. This to show the importance of how video is becoming kind of the prominent thing. So go on Instagram. Like if you've got Instagram open, swipe it and close it. Now open Instagram. Now I've, I follow, I don't know, maybe took a couple of thousand people. So I get quite a varied range of content. So starting from the first thing you see, count how many posts 
before you see a photograph. Okay. My experience at the moment on Instagram is it's like I'm on TikTok. It's like video, video, video advert, video, video, video advert, video, video, video advert, video advert. I think it was 19 or 20 posts before I saw an actual photograph from somebody that I follow because video is taking over the content. Now, I think there could become a saturation point or everyone will become so good, you'll be it'll be hard to know who to watch or what to follow. So it's something to to, to in, include and is important. And more and more photographers are having to learn video now because of like, you know, gleaming with behind the scenes is his video content is great. Editing is amazing. And, it, and he's improving all the time. I used to watch, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to watch Casey Neistat on YouTube, not because particularly of his content, which is very good anyway, I enjoy watching him, but I used to like deconstructing his editing and his shooting process. Like when you see him on his skateboard going through New York down the street, you're kind of realizing, okay, he's planned where he's going to ride. He's had to go to the bottom of the road, set up his camera, go back to the top of the road, ride back down the road to be filmed, to go past it, then go back and get the camera and it's like, he's never just going from A to B. It's, I like the breaking down the creative process of, of that in the same way you set up a shot, you set up a photo shoot. Um, and it's, it's all educational. I think we should all learn these things. I don't like being on camera. I'm doing it more now and I'm going to have to do it more in the future. Um, because I don't, and I've said before, I don't do Instagram live. I don't do a sudden, oh, I'm just going to go live when I'm walking along and I've got a thought in my head. Um, it's, it's not what I do, but while you were just talking then, you made me think of something where I said about buying a camera at the photography show. And I was thinking kind of in my budget, I'm thinking around six to 800 pounds for a half decent mirrorless probably. Um, because that seems to be the ones that are going, I know there's like Fuji, Sony, Canon, Nikon, probably all do them now. Um, and I know you, I can go well over a thousand, but I was thinking, I know I can get something good for what I need that would be good for this video stuff around six to eight hundred pounds. But, but my brain is kind of going six to eight hundred pounds. And I realized only this morning I was on the Apple website looking at the iPhone 14 Pro Max 256. Yes but in the color that I wanted, not even the top storage, 256 with Apple care. And I, I had 1500 quid in my basket for a phone, for a, for yeah. a camera phone, which, which you, I justify cause it's a, it's a mobile computer for me. I can do so much on it. Like it's just incredible what I can do on my phone. And the fact that you've now got this awesome video capability, you've got this awesome camera, but it's like, I think nothing of admittedly paying it monthly over two years interest-free because I prefer to do it that way. But it's still, I'm spending £1,500 on a phone, but I'm kind of bulking at £600 on a really good camera for what I need. Why? And that, exactly. you know, I know my phone can do it. I don't want to use my phone for that. But it's like where we put the value on things is we won't spend on this, but we'll happily spend on that. And yet, it's, you know, a phone sucks time away from you. 
because how how long do we do the doom scrolling? Oh, I just quickly go on Instagram. I was quickly on TikTok, and an hour later, you're just like your thumbs just <laughs> yeah. like, like you're hitchhiking. Um, well, that's what I find with TikTok exactly. It's like you know, well, an hour. What? It's like I've time traveled two, yeah. two hours into the future. <laughs> so I, I I love that whole conversation with photographers and designers about gear in the way they justify gear in their process they do and how they budget for it how they earn from it i think it's a really important thing to not just think about buying stuff it's to think about like we said how does it make your life better i mean you saying about using the camera i um i was fortunate enough to be with alan hess in san diego and he was doing a shoot at a gig and he was sort of talking to me about he takes two cameras he's got three songs He's at the front. I think you've done music photography as well. Yeah. Alan says, like, my my camera's in my hand and I know what my camera is set at for what I just did. So he just starts adjusting his camera in his hand without looking at it, ready for the next shot. And he knows that when he pulls that camera up, all the settings he knows he needs for that shot, he did blind. In the same way, I used to be able to text on an old Nokia with a phone under the table, and I could text <laughs> out a whole, I could text out a whole message without looking at the keyboard because I knew where the keys were, and yet it yeah. was tactile. You can't on an iPhone, but it it was like when you can start using gear like that, like you said, before long, you know, you don't have to learn to balance in a car. You have to learn to balance on a Vespa. Before long, it will be you won't be thinking about how fast you're going, the the motorbike itself. You'll be looking at Tower Bridge as it starts to raise, thinking, I could do this. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're now looking at the experience yeah. you can receive from the tool that you've learned to use. Yeah. And and that's where we should be with with gear is enjoying yeah. what we've invested in and getting the maximum from it as well. And so that's it. Yeah, and of course, yeah, the only way, the only way we get there is by actually doing it. I mean, this is the this is the thing. You know, no matter how many YouTube videos we watch, you know, about how to use this function on your camera or, or how to do this in Photoshop. I mean, Photoshop is a really great example. But you know, you can watch X amount of different videos about how to do this on Photoshop, and how to do that on Photoshop, and stuff. But unless you actually sit down and do it and then use it time and yeah. again, it just won't become second nature. Yeah, you know? I did YouTube something today for Illustrator. Completely forgot yeah. how to do it. And I watched the yeah. video, I typed, how do I do this? Saw it, and I was just like. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's like, I did this thing the other day. Um, it's like something super simple. I did a flyer or something like that, and um, I wanted to create a box with a uh, with a gradient in it. Mm. I mean, super simple, right? I mean, and my brain just went. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten how to do it. How to, what? <laughs> yeah. And then I had, to, I had to look out, but I'm like, uh, okay, there's a. You know, and of course, there's always five million different ways that you can do something. But yeah, you know, but it was just like, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm the same. I, I look stuff up all the bloody time. You know, yeah. Whether it's like Photoshop or you know, and of course, there's, you know, there are always new things that come out. Um, you know, with res- you know, respective upgrades of a particular software, whether it's Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever. And it's been like I said, you know, earlier, especially over the last year or year and a half or something. There've been so many developments, and really drastic developments. You know, both mm. in Lightroom with the you know with masking, for example, that's huge, yeah, you know, a huge thing. 
um, at Photoshop with the neural filter sets, you know, they're really improving. I remember when I first introduced him, I kind of said, yeah, okay. gimmick. Yeah, it's already happening. But you can see over the last year how much they've improved. In- Look at the colorization of a black and white photograph. Yeah. I know people that this has been their job for years. Yeah. This is their te- this is their speciality. And and again, like anything, you can you can dumb down stuff and make it quick for the masses. And then you have the experts, you know, Annie Leibovitz is going to spend a lot more time taking a photograph than I ever would. So I've got like, I picked up the point and shoot on auto and I'll get a great photo, but she'll put the effort into it. So I still think there's a level of, you, you kind of still have to have that. You, you either go this end or this end, but with, Dumb it, dumbing it down, uh, not dumbing it down, but yeah, simplifying. I mean, you know, for me, the the thing is, I always explain this, like when I do talks, for example, I always explain this of the marriage between um, the camera and the post-production, i.e. Photoshop, for example. You know, I sort of explain it, um, it's like an electric guitar and an amp. Yeah. You know, for all of for all of y'all who play the electric guitar there, you know, you may know that if you, well, maybe you don't know how to explain it. Basically, if you play an electric guitar, um, you can strum it and it's really super quiet. It makes hardly any sound. It doesn't yeah. sound like you would imagine an electric guitar to sound at all. It just sounds like a plingy, plingy little thing. Yeah. It's very super quiet. Um, you, in order to make it sound like the way we love hearing electric guitars, you have to plug it into an amplifier. And, you know, the amplifier on its own is just a box. It doesn't make a sound. If you just take the amplifier on its own, it's a you know, it's a box with a speaker in it. It does nothing. Yeah. But when you pluck the guitar into the amp and you marry those two things up, that's when you get really beautiful music. Mm-hmm. And you know, photography is especially digital photography, it's a little bit like that. You know, on one hand you've got the camera and you take the photo. And on the other hand, you've got the computer and Photoshop and all of the power and capabilities that lie within that. Yeah. And when you marry the two up, that's when, you know, the boundaries of your creativity are limitless, you know, literally. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of it. It basically just, it just gives you that, that positronic mega brain that now allows you to realize all the things that previously just happened in your brain. Yeah. And once you start doing that, and this is like, you know, something I think is always, I always try and drive that point home, is when you start working like that, and I know there are many people out there who basically say, oh, you know, I'm like, um, you know, I'm a traditional photographer. I want to get a writing camera, you know, fine. And to, to those people, I say, I also want to get a writing camera. What I do, though, is I consider the whole process. I think of it, as you know, taking the photo is the starting point and completing the edit is the finish point. And so I shoot with the edit in mind, with the post-production in mind. Yeah. So I also need to get it right in camera, but I have to get it right for the edit, which is intrinsically different from getting it right in the sense that by the time I press the shutter button, that's the finished product. Yeah. You know, so when I shoot something, whether that's, um, you know, when I saw it, for instance, you know, the, the photo project um, that I've been doing for a few years, uh, three heads in a row, when I shoot that, I have the edit in mind. So when you see the raw image as it comes out of the camera, it doesn't look anything like the final. Yeah. But I shoot for the edit because I know exactly what I'm going to do in the edit to give it the look that I want it, that I want to achieve. 
And if the lighting isn't right, it won't work in the edit. You know, and if the aperture isn't right or the, you know, the background light isn't right or, or whatever, if these things aren't positioned correctly, then I'm going to have a pro- I'm going to have a problem in post-production. And so, you know, getting it right in camera, I think nowadays means a slightly different thing from what it used to mean back in the day. Yeah. Before it used to be really pretentious. Like it used to drive me mad. Even though I'm not a photographer, it was like, oh, really? Like, is that what you're going to hang your hat on? Is you going to stroke your, stroke your chin and go, well, I like to yeah. get the riding camera. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I like, I used to say, I know it's not the same industry, but Jimi Hendrix would not be Jimi Hendrix with an acoustic guitar. Just, just like, um, uh, uh, what they, well, yeah, acoustic. When you go on stage and you've got no amps, no mics, you do an acoustic set. Now, Jimi Hendrix could probably play the, uh, an acoustic guitar really well, but when you throw the amp in and he becomes like, or, or any great guitarist, every great album, every photographer that does it in camera um, loves music. Every album they own was produced in a studio. It was never the raw, the bad, the Beatles in a room or the Bon Jovi or whoever in, in a room. But it was, it was. They knew what they wanted the song to sound like. Nobody cares. It's been produced. Nobody cares. It's been in a studio with knobs and dashes because Seven. what I care about is what I see. Yeah. Is it a great image? Is it telling me a great story or conveying them a moment in the same way? Does the music? evoke an emotion in me I don't honestly I don't care it's like me being a graphic designer going oh no I actually just only work for my sketches I don't like to use Photoshop I just like to sketch everything out and I just use the raw sketches you're great brilliant but nobody cares apart from no it wasn't yeah Yeah, exactly that's exactly but now now it's like you said it's getting it right in camera like we said at the top of the show was the reason why your retouches are so quick is because you did all the hard work in camera. You yeah. got your lighting and you got all of that done so that the retouching is a small part of the process. It's like a finishing off. It's just the icing, tidying the icing yeah. up on the cake. Yeah, and of course, you know, all of that really comes with experience as well because, you know, there have been, of course, in the past, there have been numerous times where I've been, you know, editing something or I've been retouching something and you get to the point and you go, oh, God, what a pain in the backside. Had I just done this yeah. originally, then it would have saved me so much time. And of course, you know, over time, you know, you accumulate all these experiences. And then the next time you actually, you know, you're setting up for a shoot, you kind of go, right, if I do this, then that's going to save me X amount of time. I mean, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, and I know uh, one of our previous guests, Gary, used tells the story, but actually, I mean, I have a very, very similar story, um, which is, you know, you have this thing, especially when you're doing... Um, like volume headshots, you know, at yeah. a corporate event or something. There's always somebody, like you know, who basically has some kind of I don't know mustard stain on their on on their lapel or something, right? And they're gonna go, ah, you could just take that out in Photoshop, right? And you got it. What if you just turn this way, click, you know, you move them out of, you know, it, 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 you post them in a slightly different ways so that you can't see the mustard stain. Bang, that's it. So now I don't have to spend no even twenty seconds in Photoshop to get rid of that. It's just, you just post them in a slightly different ways and now we can't see the master stain. See you later. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that um, that makes, you know, that really makes a massive difference. And it's, you know, it's never so much of a problem when you're retouching one image. 
But when you're doing a job where all of a sudden you're looking at hundreds of image images, then you know, let's say you've got 400 images to you know to post process, like you know, 10 seconds spent extra per image times 400. Absolutely, it's yeah, thousand seconds. However many minutes it is, quite a lot. Uh, hey quite, Siri, quite a quite a lot of seconds. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but it, but it very quickly turns into you know only a few seconds per image. But before you know it, like you're spending hours extra on on the editing, you know. And so it's always, you know, by part of the fun in the whole game for me is always just to see how I, where I can shave off a little bit of time. So yeah, you know. And even if I if it just means I can I can I don't know watch an extra episode of Sandman or something whatever. Yeah. So I've, whatever I've um I've fallen into we'll, we'll come back to photography but you're saying that I've tried to break up the time I spend on what I do so that I'm not in here all the time and uh so I've been kind of treating myself and thinking okay I, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch a series all the way through I'm gonna educate myself because one of the things I love doing is networking talking to people and going out and and today was a perfect example about pop culture in conversation is somebody posted something in our Teams chat and this is specifically for British people over a certain age and I don't don't know what the threshold is in age right. but somebody posted something claiming something had happened and I posted a photograph of a, of this celebrity to convey what I felt about what they just said. And the photograph I posted, because I didn't believe what they said, was a photograph of Jimmy Hill. Now, okay, okay back when I was a kid, I don't know where this came from without the internet, but every child on the playground knew to do this. But if somebody told you at something that was, you felt they were lying or wasn't true, you, your response would be, yeah, Jim Hill. You'd stroke your chin and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Jim Hill. It turned into, I think, like, chinny recon or something. But it was... So So now if anyone says anything, my my friends are like my age, they get it. We always post a picture of Jimmy Hill. But it's like pop, pop culture. So I decided I'm going to educate myself, not just in my, my realm of expertise. Uh, I'd never watched Breaking Bad. So I binged the whole of Breaking Bad. So I, so, it was all right. Um, maybe the problem is binge watching it and not having the thrill of what's coming next week. But I wouldn't put it in my top 10 of shows I've ever watched. Right. But I can now have a conversation about Breaking Bad with, with someone if I'm talking about anything at a show. Um, and I'm now... I've now gone into a show that I vowed not to bother watching because it was like, oh, everyone's going on about it. Oh, I'm not going to bother. Game of Thrones. Right. So I've decided what I'm going to watch an episode of Game of Thrones every night to work through. So when I'm in conversation, I'm going to Adobe Max in October. One of the key things of networking and talking is a pop culture, like what's going on, and even just chatting about a TV show. And as silly as this sounds, it's a really good skill when we talk about reading a book or watching a show or catching a film. Even if you've got no interest in it, do it anyway. Because it's a great conversate when you can be part of a conversation. Because like I said about getting it right in camera and how pretentious and poncy it is, 
I felt the same going, oh, no, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Right, far, far, far. And suddenly, I'm not part of the conversation. Or, oh, no, Breaking Bad. I'm I'm one of the few people who hasn't watched Breaking Bad. I thought, what a knob. You know, so I watched both. And then I tried to watch shows on things that maybe I, I hear, yeah, I know people are talking about, just to be educated. And it, it's a really good conversation style. That's that's a little, just a, a, throw, a, a tip thing there is part of, part of being part of a conversation anywhere is so i so i'm breaking my time up now and doing that what's i mean you know that's gen, it's a generally great tip when it comes to networking in general because yeah you know the, the thing i think what people tend to forget sometimes um is unless you actually really get into networking is it's the fact that you know they're always human beings at the end of everything you know so yeah. and humans connect through human interaction absolutely you know, and of course we converse in conversation. That's how we com- that's how we communicate. You know, so it's it's really you know that's that's part of the whole thing. And I mean, this is actually this is a great segue into talking about a photography show. Actually, yeah. because the the thing I look forward to the most, I have to say, and I've been really I've been looking forward to it all year since last year. We had a great experience at the photography show last year. That's you know, of course, uh, you know. Because, you know, we post post COVID photography show, so it was a lot quieter. It's going to be a lot bigger this year, a lot busier. Yeah, I mean, post COVID, of course, but it was also this thing where you know, for for Nick and myself, you know, we've been obviously we've been doing the the camera shake podcast, yeah, and we'd had you know we had guests on the show like yourself, and then you know, and then then being able to meet piece, uh, people in the flesh for the first time was just an amazing experience. We had a, a really an awesome time, you know, um, and not only, I mean. Of course, the show is great, and there's lots of tech there, and lots of stuff, and blah blah, and all the rest of it. Yeah, but, you know, the, for me, the really the enjoyable part was really, you know, what happened around the show. Exactly, you know, going out for a drink, you know, meeting up with people, you know, just chatting, you know, getting to know other people, being introduced to you know other people, and just kind of creating this, you know, this sort of network of people. And the the one thing that I'm looking forward to this year is is really just to reconnect with people. That's my main goal the show uh, you know this year um so if you are watching this video today should be thursday um the show actually starts tomorrow on friday um and it lasts until tuesday but bear in mind that on monday the show will be closed yes for the queen god bless her yeah Yeah. so um so now i'm left in this situation i think what am i doing monday because i actually you know i've got a tales book on monday so i'm gonna be there on monday Uh, are you there for all four days I'm there until Monday evening, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm basically like now I'm thinking, right, I better find something to do on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but you've again that's a really important point is going back to when we were talking about investing in photography, investing in graphic design and gear and stuff, is this is another thing that I'm lucky I get to talk about. Um I don't know whether sometimes I just sound like an old man with a lot of opinions, um, like just but trying to pass off advice. But and it, and it is different. Not that I've got disposable income, but I think it, it all depends on what's important right now. And money's tight, and I appreciate it's not easy to throw money around. But events like the photography show are an investment in you. So, of all right, if you've got to pay a car park and a train fare and £10 entry and a little bit of food, let's say going to the photography show for the day is going to cost you £100. Think of that £100 as um, a photography show is going to be a place where you're going to network, communicate. Uh, you're going to build 
the start of learn. some good relationships. You're going to learn. Uh, you, you're going to share information because people are going to go ask about you. That's a really good investment in yourself. So, you know, appreciate. I, ne- I never like the thing that's too expensive. Um, I think what people are saying is I can't afford that because every, everything has a price for a reason. Everything has a price behind it for a reason. Um, and we know that because as professionals, we bit, we, we charge what we charge because we know what's all behind us to make it that. So when you get an opportunity to go to an event, like I don't work the photography show because I can't wait to w- look at all the cameras. I work the photography show because I get to meet my photography friends. It's every year I meet new people. Like last year, highlight of the show, apart from meeting you guys, Tommy Reynolds. What an yeah, I Love him. Love Tommy yeah. Reynolds. I, I'm going to get him on the show. I haven't had him yet. He's just, him and his uh, partner, his wife, just had a baby. So, um, but I, I met Tommy Reynolds for the first time and... I get to meet really lovely people and you will connect with some and others you won't connect with. It's, it is very much a, not everyone's going to be your friend, but I'm going to go to Adobe Max in October, which is LA. So I've got a 13 hour flight. Um, I'm not going because I want to sit in all the classes and learn how to use InDesign and Illustrate and Photoshop because I teach that stuff. I'm going to that show because I want to see the people. I want to meet, see the guys at Adobe again. I want to see my designer colleagues, people I only get to see at those events. So it's a little bit, a little bit costly. Luckily, because of what I do now, some of that cost is covered by things that I do. But previously to that, I was paying for myself to go. But now I just had to write my bio for somebody last night and I had to list all the things I've done. And, and these are things I've only done since 2010. I couldn't believe what I've achieved in 12 years. The list of stuff I was putting that I'd done. And then I was going, oh, God, I've done that as well. Writing it down. Oh, crikey, I've missed that out. And it was because I put my backside in a plane and went to places and talked to people and could communicate about photography and design and the world and life and travel and and, and all sorts And now when I look back at, you know, the relationships I've built and the friends that I've got and like you guys, I said to you at the photography show, it was like we'd known each other for 10 years already. I know. Like how amazing. How was it? It was ridiculous. That was the first time we were meeting because it felt like we met a hundred times before. And that's what I love about something like the photography show is everyone's there for the, with the same interest and it's you need to go up and talk to people you you need to stop and if you watch someone um if you sit in the editing suite or behind the lens or or wherever and you've just watched someone just and you've learned something because there was one i went and sat at the editing suite i think it was last year and this guy was doing a thing about 360 and I think there were six people sat down to watch him. He was late on in the day. Um, I wish I could remember the company he was with. I think it was something 360. But he'd actually prepared footage at the show to use in teaching. And I sat watching it and I learned so much about 360 videography um, Mm -hmm. and photography. That at the end, I waited and I went up to him and I said, hey, 
just wanted to say thank you. That was really interesting. I learned this and this. I, I hadn't even thought of it like that before. That was really good content. Um, hope to see you back here again. I'm going to go and follow you on social media and, and check out your website. Yeah. Costs you nothing to do that, but it means the world to the person of course. teaching stuff. So I advise if you're at the photography show, go and talk to people because that person you go up and chat to, you just might have something really weird in common, like you lived two streets apart. Exactly. How crazy. Or you've got a mutual friend or you were both in the same place once and... Um, I can't put enough emphasis on yeah. personal relationships. Yeah. And the, the, events. yeah, I mean the chances that because you know, because this is such a such a I mean, such a small industry in a way. Yeah. The chances that you have something in common or some kind of mutual relationship with somebody are so high actually. Yeah. That it's you know, it's incredible, really. You know, it's uh, or, or even if it's not necessarily shared people but like shared experiences for example you know that's that's the that's the other thing and you know i found um i mean again you know th this is what i found personally it's been the most rewarding thing about going to the photography photography show last year and you know although i'll be there creating a camera shake podcast episode yeah of course. i mean that's you know but that's almost secondary that's not really why i'm going i'm really going to see you and you know and all the people you know dave and you know and um you know, lots of people that I met yeah. last year. You know, some people I knew beforehand, some people I've met, uh, I've met for the first time last year, but I'm really looking forward to to meeting people again. Because actually, you know, over the past year, I found that a lot of people that I've met, I've sort of stayed in touch with, on you know, via social media, actually. You know, whether that was like an occasional like on an image or yeah. a comment, or it's just a, you know, with some people, you know, I've spoken more, but it's, you know, it's a really great opportunity um, to come back together. And I think, you know, this year is going to be really a pivotal year as well because last year was the first time in two years, you know, after the pandemic yeah. and it was the first time back and it was really it's a huge thing, I think, for most people to actually be back in person. Um, and of course, it was smaller and the aisles were wider and it was, you know, um, I mean, some people were maybe a little careful and, you know, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And of course, it's going to be bigger this year. I've already, I've checked out the, the list of... Um, you know, of exhibitors, and I've, I've really noticed, you know, some of the big names have come back, like Manu yeah. Reference is back, Aperture are back. It's, you know, some of the big names were missing um, last year, and they're back. And that's awesome. You know, that's great. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to actually touching base, you know, with humans, and just saying, like, hey, man, how, you know, How's it been going? Because I think we've all been thrown into a situation over the last year where reality has kind of hit home again, where all of us yeah. have gotten busier. And I know, you know, the reason why why Nick is, um, you know, hasn't been as present on the podcast, you know, recently is because he's just working really hard, you know, he's mm -hmm. spending a lot of time working. And that's very different. When we started the podcast, it was, in a sense, out of necessity, you know, it was yeah. the pandemic and, you know, we had a lot of time on our hands and all the rest of it. And of course, you know, Things have gone back to normal and reality has hit home. Same for me and Alan. Yeah, we're, absolutely. We're not getting episodes out as, as quick as, as often as we had. And yeah. after a while, you feel guilty because, you know, people are listening to the podcast. Admittedly, no one has ever messaged me and said, hey, you didn't put an episode out this week. Oh, I had that. I actually. Oh, have you? Yeah, I had that um, a few weeks ago, like maybe a month ago, whenever it was. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought, okay, look, 
what needs to be I, I just need to, I, I bring out I, I put out an episode every week and ultimately whether that's just me talking about some subject for 20 minutes mm. or half an hour or whatever whether we have a guest on the show and the whole episode is two hours long doesn't matter whether it's you know Nick and me together when he's got time brilliant you know but there are obviously people out there who are looking forward to an episode every week and I feel guilty <laughs> You know? <laughs> I, so I I do feel guilty, but like you said, Nick's working. Alan, Alan, you know when he joined the podcast, um, you know all the timing of everything of Glenn moving house and and having stuff going on in his business was that the timing of him leaving and Alan joining suited Alan down to the ground because he'd lost photography, he'd lost concert photography, event photography. Now. Alan's working nearly like every day. And if you follow him on social media, you'll see all his today. He always puts today's office or tonight's office. And it means we're not recording as often. So, but, but the, the good thing I, I've done, particularly over this last two weeks, is I go back and find old interviews that we've done. So I've got three, um, which speaking of photography show, we've got Kaylee Greer, who's a really good friend who have been somewhat instrumental in helping that happen. And I tell you what, which this actually just, just let's just stick on the subject for a second. So this is one of the things I'm really looking forward to, um, is Kaylee Greer, the, uh, or potentially, you know, meeting yeah. Kaylee at the, at the photographer show, because my 11 year old daughter is a massive fan. And, you know, we've been, I've been talking to Kaylee a little while ago about coming on the podcast and stuff, and it hasn't yet materialized. Right? Yeah. But, um, but the one thing that my 11-year-old daughter says to me, and she's, you know, she loves, she loves animals. She loves dogs. Yeah. She's a big dog fanatic. And she also likes photography and she um, likes to take pictures of dogs. You know, she's 11. But, so she calls herself a photographer. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> um, but the one thing I say to Car is, like, you know, whenever I say to, to her, like, oh, have you listened? To, have you actually listened to a full episode of the Camera Shake podcast? She goes like, "No, why would I do that?" It's boring. That's <laughs> right. Okay. And she goes and she says like, "The only time I would listen to a whole episode is if you had Kaylee on the show." Oh man! And I'm like, "Look, it's going to happen at some point." If you need, happen. if you need an introduction to Kaylee, I'll be more than happy to do it. She's going to be uh, our guest for the live episode of He Shoots He Draws on the live stage. Um, we've only got half an hour. Um, but we got a couple of things happening with Kaylee. Um, is that we're going to interview her? We're going to open it up to a couple of questions from the crowd as well, and we've also um, able to give a copy of her book away. So we're going to we're going to set the rules as to who gets a copy of that book, and we've got something fun. <laughs> so if anyone does it, if they do it, they deserve it. But um, right. yeah, with, with the guests, um, you've got Kaylee Greer, Chase Jarvis. Uh, people that I know, um, Roberto. Uh, so I, I was, we were lucky enough that we'd interviewed Kaylee, we'd interviewed Chase Jarvis, we'd interviewed Tony Harmer. Um, I did also put out an episode with Elise Swopes, who is amazing. Check, yeah, if you don't know Elise Swopes, just go and at Swopes. Um, she's a great videographer, photographer, creative. <clears throat> so, where we've not been able to put episodes out, we do replay episodes. So we put out older yeah. episodes because. We know that we've we are got we do get new listeners and we've got a very loyal bunch of listeners and I want to at least put an episode out to stay relevant and 
and you know we don't get sponsorship we get we have a partnership with the photography show every year because it looks good for us to be on their website and say we're sponsored but um i miss i miss this you know it's like i've been lucky enough the last two weeks i've had two people interview me which is great because i love chatting to people about what we love um but i'm hoping i'm taking my gear with me to the show but because i'm working it and teaching a session on the editing suite and doing the podcast and we've lost a day um I, I always take the gear i never get around to doing an interview because i just spend all the time like hanging out with you guys or just go and chat with someone go to dinner go and have a coffee with someone i don't sort of i don't want to waste time being too technical on something um but i, I say we'll take the gear but i think for you it's a great way to get introduced to people who you want on the show that you haven't had so def- definitely um a good source of inspiration but i know when i get back from the show i'll be on to alan going mate we gotta get we gotta get back into this we gotta get some episodes out so we've got a couple i've got a couple of people lined up and planned but i mean this you know this is one of the tools that we said on the last episode the podcast opens up a door to speak to people who wouldn't normally make time for you 100 percent. i mean you know it's exactly right you know, for us, it's been amazing, you know, especially, I'd say, the first year and a half. You know, we um, we interviewed a lot of people. That was really basically what we mainly did um, virtually on, virtually almost every week, you know, we had it when it gets done. Um, and then we changed the format a little bit because um, things were getting busy, especially, you know, Nick was getting really busy. Yeah. And so it became very difficult to schedule things in, you know, in that way. But, you know... The, the incredible thing for us was was uh, that we quite organically went from interviewing people that we knew, you know, friends, yeah. um, you know, fellow photographers, um, to then all of a sudden being able to interview people who had a name in the industry, to then all of a sudden being in a position where we had people come on the show who were at the top of the game in their in their niche of, of photography. Yeah. You know, like people who are like world class. Well, you got Joe McNally on. I was so sure yeah. when you got Joe on because it's like, who doesn't yeah. want to talk to Joe? See, and the thing the thing with Joe, I mean, this is the thing that really floored me completely was, um, so when we had Joe on, uh, we'd been planning it for, for quite some time. You know, it was, uh, it was, in, it was in, the, in the pipeline for a good few months. Um, but then his, I believe his mother-in-law passed. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, that's a traumatic mm. event for for anyone. And, you know, of course we didn't, like we didn't expect him to come on the show. You know, of course not. Um, and he, he called, he called me up and he said like, look, you know, I, I get up at four o'clock in the morning if you want to do it at that time. And we're like, you really, I mean, do you really want to? I mean, we don't, we're not asking that of you. Yeah. We cannot ask that. I mean, you know, like you don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning for us. And he goes, no, I really want to do it. And it was amazing. It was just amazing to have him on the show and actually make that, you know, go through that effort at such a difficult time and still, you know, keep that commitment. It was just, you know, it was mind blowing to us. This, you know, one of my favorite episodes, of course, because as anybody who uh, who speaks to Joe McNally will just you know your head will just explode with all this. How could you explode? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but 
but it was just you know and of course you kind of you, you you think about it for a minute and you kind of go like wow you know he really wanted to be on our show i mean you know we're so like humbled yeah you know and um you know whether that's yeah, we've had a, we've had a whole lot of people on the show. I think you know, and I've said this many times on this pod, on, a, on this podcast. In the very very beginning, what I actually did was I put a list together of just dream team names, right? Like the wouldn't it be cool if yeah we get these people on the show, and um, this because you get it. I mean, you get it. Reach high. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you get yeah. it right. Um, and so you know, month after month as we managed to get more and more names to come on the show, all of a sudden it became easier to access, you know, other people. And Absolutely, yeah. You know, be, and, uh, you know, and I guess, I mean, you know, for us it was just like, it was this thing where we thought like, oh, well, we started this whole thing, just us, the two of us, and they could be talking about geeky stuff that yeah. nobody else would be interested in, you know. Um, and, then, and then the only reason why we started inviting guests on the show was because we thought, well, it might be interesting to talk to somebody else, actually. Yeah, and maybe we can learn a thing or two. And we went, we gone the opposite because we started off predominantly having guests and talking about, okay, who are you? Where did you start? How did you get to where you are today? Which is an interesting story, but an, but an often told story, just it's being told differently to two different people. So as time went on, I. Because I, what I loved about your show was you guys would talk about a topic, like two guys, you're in the pub, two guys are talking about something and you would have joined in the conversation. So you would talk about things and I kind of envied that a little bit. And now, like you've inspired us to flip what we do. So I want less guests, unless it's somebody who I think can bring value to me and has has an interesting story to tell for the listeners because there's so many more podcasts now that to tie if you capture anyone's time <clears throat> you know thank you for listening to ours and not all the celebrities interviewing all the other celebrities <laughs> yeah um, but now i want more shows about topics so you know i want to talk to glenn about the transition of going from photography to, to video and what he's learned and talking about his drone photography and um alan a week with alan we've got a friend who's going to be talking about the legal side of photography we want to talk more about topics yeah. that are of interest which you guys do perfectly yeah do you know the thing the thing about that is um it's that's sort of an interview technique i've learned through a channel called Hot Ones. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Have you seen? Have you seen Hot Ones? Oh, the hot sauce. Yeah, Sean. Yes, Sean. Oh, so he's his, brilliant his, interviewer. Yes, his interview technique is really interesting because um, if you think about it from a pretty rational point of view, when you interview somebody, the most intuitive thing is to start at the beginning and you go like, "How did you get started in photography?" Yeah, you know, and then to take somebody through chronological, their, chronologically through their life you know until you get to the point uh where they are today that's an interesting story that's like a a biography yeah like that any biography or autobiography structure today start at the beginning and to end up at the now yeah but yeah that's kind of what we expect but it's done and done and done and done mm. time and again and then you can you can find these sort of interviews absolutely everywhere but the really interesting thing 
I think for me, has always been to do it a little bit differently and to basically start at the now. And through conversation, you eventually get to the beginning, mm. but you don't start the conversation there. You basically start with, you know, what's happening right now, Yeah, you know, and and through talking about this and that and the other, we'll eventually get to the beginning. Yeah. Like, you know, we how eventually that, ended up... How did that come about? Oh, because five yeah. years ago, when I was working here... Yes, I met this exactly. guy. Yeah, do you, you remember when in the beginning of, the, of this of this episode, you know, at some point, you know, you start talking about your first Mac and your first um, Photoshop, like, retouching project. Mm. You know, those are your beginnings. I mean, we could have started the whole conversation there, but actually, it was much more interesting to really start with something that was actually currently happening right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you, it's more interesting to discover these things as you go along, I think. And what, what actually happens is it's, it has... It sort of feels like more of a natural conversation because there's a there's a difference between an interview and a conversation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, the question is, do I want to listen to an interview or do I want to listen to a conversation between two humans? You know, the thing is, in a conversation, you discover things that you have in common and you build on those, you know, and you discover everything around that. In an interview, it's me asking the questions and, you know, and the interviewee, you know, answering them. And so it's just, you know, it's just a slightly different approach, which I enjoy. And yeah. that's, you know, that's basically why, that's why we've always done it like that. It, and it's lovely because you do sometimes, you know, these people who are more popular like Joe have told their stories over and over. And and another one is bit, a little bit of research. So I quite often, if I'm going to get a guest on, I will, tr I will go looking for other podcasts they've been on, listen to them and see where they got excited and where they felt they were going through the, and then I did this and then I did this and then I did this. So finding their hobby or an experience they had once or, you know, a memory or a mutual friend. Again, it, it, if you can get the guest animated, it's yeah. a much more enjoyable conversation rather than an interview. And you're not like Michael Parkinson, you know, or David <laughs> Frost and Richard Nixon. It's, it's great because you can have a lot. I love it when, but we had Austin Cleon on the show, which was a huge stroke of luck that that happened because it just so happened that his publicist was a lovely lady who lived in Norfolk. You know, he's in America and his publicist, his agent person who was responsible for doing all the interviews and stuff was this lovely lady in Norfolk. And I'd holidayed there a lot. So I had messaged her and we got that going and we got Austin and... Yeah, we. He was laughing. He was talking about stuff that wasn't just about his books, and you kind of forget you're doing a podcast. You have to kind of really, really back in and go, oh, "Crap, this isn't a phone call. This is a podcast." But it's such a great moment when you break through that um, kind of official thing. We've had guests on who are very much straight down the line. I'm here for one thing: to talk about my book, to talk about my whatever. But some of the conversations where you just break through and you find that thing you've got in common and you have a really good chuckle about it. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, the thing about <clears throat> the last few years was, you know, the one thing that we all had in common was the pandemic. Yeah. And the fears and, you know, and, and our trials and tribulations to how to cope with everything that, that happened. Yeah. You know, no matter whether you were, you know, Joe McNally or whether you were, Joe Blocks, you know, we all had to do. It was a leveler. It was a complete leveler. Yeah. And it's, you know, it was a great sort of conversation starter because 
Uh, because here's something that we all know about, and you know we all have to deal with it. And the interesting thing there is is that although I'm having to deal with it, you might be dealing with it in a slightly different way, and it might give me some inspiration because I'm thinking, oh, well, I thought about that actually. That's what you did. That's a really good idea. And you know, and so I think from a from a listener's point of view, hopefully, you know, by listening to those um, those older episodes, mm. you know that, and I know this from messages that I got, of course, is is that that's really given some inspiration to a lot of the listeners um, at the time because, you know, everybody was out of work and everybody was sitting yeah. twiddling their thumbs, you know, watching Netflix all day, um, you know, and and so hopefully that, you know, that provided some value in that in that respect, you know. Yeah, hopefully, we, you know. we threw that in. We were, we were kind of like, even now when I do the interviews for Photoshop User Magazine, we have a, a member every every edition and they get a couple of photos and then I do a Q&A with them. I've started to move move away from this question now because it feels like enough time's passing now that it's less conversation, less in the conversation. But it would always be, how did the pandemic affect your photography? And what did you learn from that period? And we've had some really interesting answers from people because... It was some people, it was, I shoot landscapes, what pandemic kind of thing. Is It was best for me. I could, I could go out on my own. The na- nature wasn't affected, you know, but then you had wedding photographers who that's all they did. And it was, I taught myself macro photography. I taught myself video editing. I, I taught my, you know, and composition and just portrait. I tried portraits. I the foam head and polystyrene head and tried to do portraits so it was good that people were kind of inspiring us don't don't allow dead time to be dead time because there's always something to learn you don't know everything you don't know all the things all the time so that's kind of i probably spent more time watching classes on things I, i didn't know I tell you what, you love this. I did uh, in the pandemic, like, especially during the first few lockdowns. I did, um, I did Photoshop Zoom classes. Did you? <laughs> yeah, free. Like basically, I just put the link out there, you know, on social media, and whoever was interested could just, you know, connect and uh, and join, you know, join the classes. So every week, I think it was I can't remember every Wednesday, every Tuesday evening or something, mm. you know, seven o'clock or something, I would go online on Zoom for an hour and I would teach a particular subject of Photoshop. Yeah, do it as a free thing because you know I kind of thought, well, this would be fun. You know, people who might want to use this time again to Photoshop a little bit more, you know, they can, you know, they can join in and and learn a thing or two. And uh, it was really it was really kind of funny. We did it for about maybe about six months or something. Yeah. That's cool, life. You you made good use of the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was fun because actually it forced me to look into some of the some subject areas a bit more closely. Yeah. Because I had to prep for it and like create, you know, sample images and you know, and processes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, for, purely from a teaching perspective, it was an interesting thing, you know, because it just meant I had to teach on Zoom, which I hadn't done. Yeah. So I'm going through a process at the moment where I know, <clears throat> even though we're not in a pandemic, like I said, it's making good use of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to play catch up because I love teaching in front of people, but I. I appreciate now video content is a lot more important especially if i want to carry on traveling and teaching so i'm now setting up a little project um that i'm going to be speaking to like glenn and a couple of people over the weekend is i'm gonna i'm setting up a little project for myself on youtube that 
I'm not going to advertise. I'm just going to make this set of series of content and just put it up to make me comfortable in front of camera. For me to get that muscle memory of, of the way I teach is I'm not worrying about making mistakes. I'm kind of doing it as I go, not over editing it. It's just going to be a simple little series about one piece of software and 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 I'm going to learn editing. I'm going to learn After Effects. I'm going to learn more about Premiere Pro. Um, I want to teach myself the skills to, to remain relevant, but also to improve, improve myself so that I, again, it goes back to having a conversation. If I then speak to someone at a show that's a master in Premiere Pro, at least I'm not going, Premiere what? Um, I can at least talk about the software and kind of understand what they're talking about. So that the thing I took away from the pandemic is I should have done that during the pandemic more but in a way the timing wasn't right for me I'm glad that now mentally I feel more comfortable on camera yeah the 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 kind of content I want to put out I understand better and I'm not going to get hung up on numbers I'm not trying to get to 100,000 subscribers any like anything of that maybe if the content turns out all right I might post some of it on TikTok without being on camera but just put the content up just purely for the feedback and for me to be more comfortable doing something I've been less comfortable about over the over the years and I shouldn't be afraid of teaching on video when I can happily talk on a podcast forever I can talk in front of people weirdly which I never used to like doing but because I love the teaching side of it if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. But I've not wasted the time because I've learned a skill. So well, that's the thing. Yeah, you never waste your time learning new things. Yeah, and I see people start a podcast. If you if you're scratching your head thinking I don't know what to do, start a podcast. But do you know what? Don't publish it. Record about five episodes on your own because you you want your podcast to be about a topic you're an expert in, and just record yourself like half an hour set yourself for timer give yourself a fake name hi welcome to the dave clayton podcast on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the brand new nikon Z. blah 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 um i'm going to give you my top five reasons why i think this is the best camera to buy or i'm going to give you my top five reasons for the top five i've, I've even written something down here while we were talking of something i'm going to do um people love numbers they love lists they love things you didn't know. So just record five podcast episodes for yourself. Don't publish it. Just do it to feel comfortable doing it. And if you enjoy it and you think, actually, I can bring something slightly different here, go on to, I think it's anchor.fm and you can publish a podcast for free and you can, and it goes to Apple and it goes to Google and it goes to Amazon, um, exactly. Spotify, and, and then do it. But don't start a podcast with all guns blazing um, because I see that often. It's like, hey, here's a new podcast. Pow, 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 pow. We're la, 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 la. And then eight episodes later, <laughs> it's gone. 12, 12 episodes later, we're taking a break. It's because you didn't, you did it for the wrong reasons because you thought there was a bigger, you thought there was a result from doing it 
and and okay. we we don't do it for that it, it it aids what we do but if we're expecting a gain from it too quickly you're going to get disappointed and lose heart with it and also the question is always what that gain is you know what what the end result is like i have learned that nobody in the history of podcasts has ever started a podcast to make any money with that i mean that's no like that's not why i mean there are other things more useful to do to make money if if that's what you want to do then don't start a podcast because you know or don't start a youtube channel to make money with it it's not you know that that is not most likely not going to happen you know i think the thing with you know the thing with podcasting is of course if you have other people on the show if you're guests on the show and you enjoy talking to people it's always for me it's always like a you know I, it's the learning experience i love yeah. chatting with people i love catching up you know i love learning you know things i always come out of a podcast episode or out of an interview you know a richer person than i was going in because i've learned something along the way and that has an impact on what i do how i do things and certainly you know how i do things has changed dramatically since before the pandemic because i've had all these conversations you know with all with all the guests that we've had on the show and to be honest also you know conversations that you know Nick and me have had um, on the show, you know, when we didn't have a guest and we're talking about a particular subject, because it's always super interesting to get somebody else's take on something. You know, I might have, I mean, there have been copious situations where I had a particular attitude at the beginning and then my attitude completely changed, you know, by the end of it because yeah. of the input I got, you know, uh, you know, by the end of the episode. So it's a, it's a really useful thing. I mean, just, which is why I love listening to podcasts. And I'm sure you're the same. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and not you, not just photography or design either. Like I said about watching TV shows, I like being recommended a podcast. I mean, I like football, so I listen to a couple of football ones. But I like listening to, um, sub you know nature document. I like someone talking about nature or someone talking about something that's remotely interesting. A history podcast, yeah, true crime. <laughs> Both yeah, kind of right. things, yeah. Exactly. You're Dead to Me is an awesome podcast. It's a BBC podcast. Oh, is it? Super, yeah, it's wicked. If you haven't checked it out, it's basically, You're Dead to Me is like, a, um, it's it's a history podcast, but also, they always have a comedian on the show as well. Yeah. So, and they, you know, focus on particular um, aspects of history, uh, like particular stuff. It's super interesting. Um, they're not like overly long or anything. Yeah. But they're really entertaining. It's like, that's one of the, that's the type of podcast I usually put on when I'm in the car, you know? Yeah, it's just like it's a quick twenty-five minute thing, you know. Hit about something that I had no idea about that happened in history, and I come out having learned something. And it goes, and it goes back to conversation skills. Oh, did you know? Hey, I heard the other day. Full perfect. Exactly. <laughs> I had no idea there used to be this great empire in Africa back in fourteenth century. I tell you what, I'm uh, I'm gonna have to go in a second because my daughters are going to bed, but. Um, one of the things that's happened this week that educated me was obviously, you know, it's been a, a strange time in the UK with the, you know, the Queen passing away. Um, and I'm very much, but, but I, I like the Queen. I've, you know, my, my thing is the country was built on royalty. The country was built on a monarchy. Like it or not, every country in the world has done shitty things to get where they are. They've every country has done something in their past that they wouldn't be proud of, but we are where we are today. And as long as they're not still doing it, 
then we're learning something. <laughs> but I've I'm trying to defend kind of why I'm why I buy into the royal family. Why I've no I have no objection to them. Yes, stuff's gone on in the royal family that's not great. It kind of also proves they're normal because they they've had divorces and deaths and arrests and you know all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But I've learned about. I've been watching some of the stuff about um, the whys and wherefores, like why everyone's going on, oh, you know, Charles, inheritance tax, he gets off it. There's a reason, and it's not him being a tax dodger. There's a reason why the inheritance tax isn't claimed. It's because of the way the, the, the stuff within the royal family is owned and of benefit to the government. So I learned about the Crown Estate and how the money's how how much money goes into the government and how much goes back to the royal family and why. And then I learned a little bit about the history today. Like I said, you off air. How the reason why there was a German monarch was was a religious thing way, way back. And I've been learning stuff about the royal family, the good, the bad and the ugly this week, from people saying rather than just spew hate on Twitter and just copy what everyone else is saying because you want to go, rah, burn the royal family. That actually, there are reasons why some of the stuff happens that happens. And and the guy said, if you just edu- educate yourself, your argument would carry more weight over like any subject. Don't just go in and go, Nikon's the worst camera in the world. Why? Oh, because I've got a can- I've got I've got a Canon. So yeah, but why? You what's the reason? What's your reasoning behind that so i, mean, it, I love I learning think, about random stuff yeah i mean i always think this you know is like if shooting a particular brand of camera is what you think makes you good photographer you got a lot to learn exactly yeah I and mean, you know that's the i don't know like we've been talking about apple and we've talked about nikon and we've talked about things is it's because it's for us i don't you know this goes back to good, good thing i I did a talk on stage at Creative South and this is one of the things that came up was the human race has a difference of opinion. It's why we are who we are. So embrace the difference and make it a positive rather than be hateful because somebody, I've just bought the new Canon. Why did you bother? I've just bought the new iPhone. Yeah, but the Android is better for you. You just just accept that I bought. I liked the things that I bought, and I use the equipment I like. And let's let's have the fact that we both love the reason why we buy stuff as our joining, yeah. rather than be hateful and spiteful. Because for what? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. You know, if you can create what you want to create with the equipment that you use, awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, ultimately, yes, like we said in the beginning. Nobody ultimately cares how you got there. No. You know, what ultimately what counts is, is the product, the end result. You know, if you create, I mean, if you create an amazing photograph or you make an amazing film or something like that. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, you just look, I mean, take Hollywood movies, you know, take some of the, some of your favorite movies. Yeah. You know, whatever it may be. Like, what camera did they use? Yeah, who cares? Yeah, was it edit? Who cares if it was it edited in Final Cut Pro or Premiere Pro? Who gives Put, a shit? Print ten, print ten, amazing photographs out. Yeah. All right. In fact, I'll tell you what. Anybody who comes to fo- to the photography show 
and I will walk you around 10 images of my choice, okay? If you can tell me which camera and what settings and which software they were post-processed in, over 10 photos, I'll give you 100 quid. Absolutely. I mean, you won't be able to do it unless you're the photographer that took them and I picked the wrong person. Exactly. And see, you know, because, like, I think as, as photographers or as creatives, like, we, we, you know, miss the point in that very often. We just don't understand that the only people who care about all that stuff is us. Nobody yeah. else gives a crap, you know, and that's, that's ultimately the thing. So, you know, if you're happy shooting Panasonic or Sony, Canon or Nikon, you know, if you shoot Nikon, well, it's great for me. I, we have a lot to talk about because I know. I don't, yeah, because I should Nikon. Okay, but uh, you know, do I love Canon less? No, they make awesome gear. So does yeah. So I just can't own all the cameras. No, exactly. I mean, you know, I have a soft spot for Fuji. I just think they look great. You know, they feel great. They have this really cool retro look. You know, yeah. they produce great images. You know, why do I shoot? Why do I? Why do I not shoot Fuji then? Well, because I'm invested in the Nikon glass, and actually. You know, Nikon cameras do exactly what I need them to do. Uh, invested. That's exactly it. You know, I won't. I won't say Apple is better than Windows or Apple is better than PC. What I'll say is, I've used Apple for twenty-five years. Twenty years, you know, full on, and the last twelve years, like deep. Um, it's not that I think it's better than PC. It's what I'll tell you is I'll tell you why I like Apple and why why I like certain things and why it's great for my workflow. But that's that's not to say that what you use is worse. It's just different. And I love the ecosystem. One of the things that one of the things I've always liked that I pay the premium for is I know that my phone, my computer, my laptop, and my tablet are all made by the same one single company. They are all made. They're all made to work with each other in the same ecosystem. I can buy a handmade PC, uh, a Huawei phone, a Lenovo laptop, uh, something tablet, and for me, they they just doesn't feel there's like a synchronization with them. So yeah, I pay a premium, but that's my money, not your. I'm not spending your money on it. <laughs> exactly. I'm spending my money on it. Um, yeah. So educate me. Tell me something about your phone that you love that maybe I don't have on my iPhone. Doesn't mean I'm going to throw my iPhone in the sea and go and buy an Android. But I'd like to know what what better software is because one of the things we f- we fall under uh, as Apple users is we get to watch Tim Cook stand on stage and say the most stupid phrase ever, which is. This iPhone is the best iPhone we've ever made. Excuse the, the accent. Um, this iPhone is the best iPhone we've ever made. Well, of course it is. Because it's the newest one. You're not going to stand up. Yeah, you're not going to stand up with the new iPhone 14. It's a little bit better than the 13, apart from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, always, it's always the best thing. But then when they say, you know, the camera's got this many megapixels or it does this, like I discovered something today in the photos. Remind me to tell you in a minute. But t- tell me something about your Android that's better than my iPhone for me to understand whether I need that feature or can I live without it. Well, I'm not, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, as a great, I'm going to leave you with a tip because I'm going to have to go and say goodnight to my girls. Something I discovered on the iPhone 
iOS 16 today, which I'm sure every Android phone does, um, but I'd never seen it before, was if you've updated your iPhone 12, 13, yeah, the 14's not out yet, open up the photos. There's a couple of features in there that for the photos that are really good. One, if you open up photos, don't go into an album, but scroll all the way to the bottom. You've now got a hidden folder that is activated by your face id so if you, for whatever reason you want to hide any photos you can and it can only open with your face id but this isn't showing up on my iphone 12 and it should do you might be lucky and it shows up on yours i think it's a glitch um but there's one called duplicate and what it does is it analyzes your photo reel and tell because I do it all the time. I can't find an image. So I go on Instagram, take a screenshot because I can't find the image to, to use it again. So that's now a duplicate. If you can find it on your iPhone, it works. Click on duplicates and it will show you all the duplicates and then you can merge them um, or remove them, which is brilliant because that will reduce my, my thing massively. And the last one is find a photograph of somebody with the background right and just hold your finger like say i had a picture of you right now and you had like the c behind you put your finger on the person and just hold it for a second and the software will cut the person out from the background and if you just move your finger slightly you can see the cut out you'll get an option of copy or share so you can do copy and then you can go into another something else on your phone and paste and you'll have a PNG background cutout of the person from your photo. Ooh, I didn't know that. It's that quick. And, quick. Wh and wh when you've done it, it's kind of little white line, l like a light, just keeps going around the cutout until you come away from the photo going, hey, look, we've selected it for you. Tell you what, it is clean. It is good. I'm sure there's apps on phones that do that, but the fact that it's part, part of the iPhone. So for photographers, apart from all the mm. sexy camera stuff, um, yeah, I thought it was a really cool little thing in the iPhone. Brilliant. Love it. Well, again, I come away from this episode having learned a ton of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show again. And you, mate. Thank you. I am really looking forward to seeing you in a few days' time. Um, yeah. You know, so be reminded if you are, you know, if you weren't planning on going to the photography show, you know, make sure you drop by. It's, you know, you won't, like, you know, you won't regret it. Um, it's a fantastic event. Um, it's uh, it happens at the NEC in Birmingham, uh, starting this Friday. These uh, no Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, set, Saturday, yes. yeah, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday, and obviously yeah. closed closed all day Monday. Closed Monday. That's it. So yeah. So if you are you know if you are at the show, come and say hello. Um, you know, I'll be there. Dave's going to be there. Um, you know, and it'd be amazing to uh, you know to get to meet you know as many people as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, if, even if you just want to mooch around, look at all the new things that are out there, you know, learn. There's so many masterclasses and stuff that are happening there. Um, you, you're guaranteed to learn a ton of stuff. Um, it will make you a better photographer. But yes. bus or it will make you a better person. Yes. And <laughs> just so, just something for Nick, for Kirsten and Nick, if you, if you are a listener of Camera Shake Podcast, um, if, you, if you buy something at the show or you have a great experience at the show, based on what we've said, like you meet someone, either someone you admire or a brand new friend, contact Nick and Kirsten and tell them what and why. Because I think it's important to hear that people have gone 
and they have gone with a different frame of mind and they have come away with something just drop them a note just drop them an email on social media and say hey i went to the show it was great to meet you you're the best podcast in the world (laughs) um and i got to meet this person or i i brought this bit of kit because i got this book because and and share that experience because that'll be fantastic it will be interesting absolutely you can get in touch on instagram um at camera shake um you can give us a you know send us a message on tiktok uh facebook you know join our facebook group on camera shake podcast you know and you know before i forget you know make sure you listen to um he shoots he draws you know podcast with none other than dave clayton and alan hess yeah. um so some fantastic episodes are there and you're now you've hit 170 i think something like that we're on 170 another one's dropping some tomorrow's chase jarvis which is a replay episode um for when his book came out which is 174 and we're now we're now closing in um by the end of the year we'll hit it but we're closing in on 300,000 downloads since day one Tessie. Which we don't, I say, we don't, we don't hang our hat on the numbers, but when you hit a big number, it always, I, I find it quite bizarre that not that, not that that many people listen because it's people listen multiple times. But when you see a big number of people downloaded it, um, and you do the maths and go, well, right, 174 divided by, you see like your average, it's just nice to know people are still listening. So yeah, if you listen to our podcast, thank you. You know, you get to listen to us waffle <laughs> about stuff we love. <laughs> exactly. So next week's episode will be all about the photography show, of course. Um, and uh, so, you know, make sure you tune in for that. Um, again, if if we don't see you at the show, you know, make sure you tune in next week. Um, Dave, again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, <laughs> mate. You know, uh, so, yes, we have come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast episode 120. Um, so we're a little bit behind, but we are catching up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so remember if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast uh, make sure you tune into youtube uh, where you can see you know both of our beautiful faces in full technicolor of course um you know, get in touch on facebook like i said instagram tiktok um all the good stuff and that's it we'll see you next thursday bye